And just a little bit of a recap um, from what, what series we were on. Um, we're looking at the Psalms of Ascent. We're looking at four Psalms of Ascent. And it's a bit of an odd name, but it basically means it's Psalms for going upwards. And it's because the Old Testament saints were on this special journey um, at various times throughout the year. They'd journey because it was a festival in Jerusalem. So they'd all gather at Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a city. It was the capital um, where the temple was. And it's on a hill. So as they're traveling, of course, they're going up to the temple. And these are songs to, to lift themselves as they were physically being lifted as they wander on. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because these Old Testament saints must have walked about loads of places. It's, we travel about lots day by day. But this is a unique journey that they're on. This isn't just popping down to the shops for some more milk or whatever. This was a particular journey for these people. It wasn't just any old journey. It was a special journey where they're coming to celebrate, to meet with the living God in his temple. It's a a unique journey in that respect. They were going there to praise the Lord and to be blessed by him. That's kind of what we were looking at last week. But it's significant to us as well. We've got to realize the relevance it has to us today because life is a journey uh, and the Christian life especially is a journey. Christians are travelers in this world. Uh, we, we're looking towards the new Jerusalem. It's a picture of, of heaven. It's heaven. That's where we're traveling to in Jesus. And we're going there to praise the Lord, to celebrate and to be blessed by the Lord. And it's an amazing truth that Jesus, who is God, has come down. Our journey doesn't start by us thinking, you know what, I fancy going to meet with God. The truth is that God comes to you. That's the start of the journey. Jesus has come down from heaven, and he has made a way, a living way for us to come, to meet with God through him, and to come to heaven We have the ultimate destination as believers in Jesus. We're looking towards heaven, this amazing place where there'll be no more pain, no more sadness, every tear will be wiped away, everything wrong in this world be set to right. Where God perfectly reigns, his will is done, all these things. And our bodies, they're failing now. And yet, on one day, we'll be raised to be like Jesus' body. It's amazing, isn't it? This amazing destination. So that's the Christian journey. It starts with Jesus coming down, and we're heading towards this amazing future in him. And yet, knowing this destination is one thing, isn't it? Knowing the destination is one thing, but carrying on through difficult times when the journey gets hard is another thing, isn't it? It's one thing knowing that you've got, I don't know, you might be driving down to meet with a friend. You might be really looking forward to meet with your friend, and it's a couple of hours. But when you're sat in in traffic, and, I don't know, for hours and hours, or there's been some other problem on the way, that, that immediate problem detracts from the future joy, doesn't it? 
It takes away from what you're looking forward to. And is that all that we've got to look at to console ourselves? What I mean is when life gets hard, are we just supposed to knuckle down and say it will be all right in the end? Is it just the case of saying, well, life is really hard and the Christian life is really hard, but it'll be all right in the end. I'm on my way to heaven. And that is a great comfort, isn't it? And it's true. And yet we read in this psalm that there's more to it than that. So just as the Old Testament saints might be wandering to Jerusalem on this, on this special journey in the year, and they, I don't know, they come to a particularly dangerous path on their way as they're walking in the wilderness on the way to Jerusalem. Yeah, they could know that they're going to celebrate with God's people and they're going to praise the living God. But as it's getting dark and you're starting to feel a bit lost, what hope is there for them? Well, this psalm tells about the help and the hope that they have, but it also teaches us as we're kind of really struggling with life, what's to comfort us? What's to help us? So, verse 1. Fantastic. It starts off this psalm with, I lift my eyes to the mountains. It's a very poetic... This is a song, so it's right there. It's, it is poetic. I lift my eyes to the mountains. From where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? Now, we could take this kind of one or two ways, or maybe even both ways, um, of this lifting his eyes to the mountains. He could be on his way, um, just, or he or she is this kind of pilgrim traveling in the Old Testament on his way to Jerusalem. And he could be lifting his eyes to the mountains, and he could be thinking, Whoa. And he could be daunt, uh, daunted by it. It could be this looming uh, threat on his journey. It might be a particularly difficult climb. And so that might conjure his thoughts of thinking, where's my help come from? How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to carry on my journey? So it could be taken that. And it does make sense in the way that it later says, he will not let your foot slip. So it could be a particularly difficult path. But it could also um, mean something else, almost the opposite, actually. The singer could be lifting his eyes to the mountains, and mountains of the Bible are places where people so often go to for help. It's where people hide. It's where people escape to. It's their refuge. And so the singer in this psalm could be lifting his up his eyes up to the mountains and think yeah that that is help but it's not perfect and so it makes him wonder what is my help is it found in in earthly things is it found in the mountains or either way of understanding um, why this verse is here or what it's meaning either way it's directing us to something greater isn't it so whether it's a big danger on the journey, this mountain, well, we find out that there's something greater than danger, something that can overcome the danger of this traveller. Or if it is 
if this mountain is almost offering help, offering a refuge, then it also points us to the greater help that we read of. Because after saying this, after looking at the mountains, the singer says, where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? Last week we had some questions from Genesis, um, which was, where have you come from? Where are you going? It's very searching questions, aren't they? Here we've got another very searching question. Where does my help come from? I wonder whether you've thought about it. Because we've all got help, haven't we? We all rely on so many different things. And we all have something ultimately that is our help. And so it's a deep question to ask, where does my help come from? What, when I'm in a dark place, when life is a struggle, where do I look to for comfort? What do I rely on? What is my help? The saying goes, no man is an island, doesn't it? And it means that people just aren't isolated. That they don't just live in their own little bubble. People rely on other things, other people. They all have help. And sometimes it's family and friends, sometimes it's our ability, our reason, our motivation. All these things might be the ultimate thing that we think, even if I have nothing, I'll still have that. The most often thing, isn't it, is as long as I've got my health. Hmm. That can often be people's ultimate thing to rely on. But in verse 2, we read that there's only one complete helper. There's only one thing that can really help us through thick and thin. As the Old Testament singer looks up to the mountains and considers the refuge that it could offer, I mean, it could provide shelter, it could provide concealment or protection, uh, but his, his or her mind goes beyond that, doesn't it? And it could be thinking about um, maybe mountain as a place of worship. Because it wasn't just Jerusalem that was a place of worship on a mountain. Actually, the false religions, the pagan gods were worshipped at the high places in Jerusalem. So we might have been considering, well, are they any help? Are these pagan gods any help for me? Well, in the face of all this, the psalmist exclaims the surpassing ability of the living God to provide help. He says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and earth. See, no mountain could be a stronger help. And no other God, no other idea of God, nothing else, whatever it may be, could be a bigger help than this. The living God, who is the maker of heaven and earth. And we could do the same, couldn't we? Just as this this individual looks to the, the help that the mountain might offer and then thinks above and beyond that to the help of the Lord, the creator God. We could do the same. We could look around at the promises that, uh, that are around us, the things that offer us help and consider their effectiveness. 
So we've already thought about money, um, already thought about health. But what about money? Money promises security, doesn't it? And it promises happiness. And yet, all too well, we know that it comes and goes. It won't be with us through thick and thin. It's, there's a limit to the security it, it has. And if we, if we invest all of our reliance on that, we'll be let down. And friends and family as well, they often provide wonderful help, don't they, in times of trouble, and they get you through. But sadly, to a certain point, because their resources are limited, they're not able to care for us completely. But the Lord here, who the psalmist says is their help, he is unlimited in resources. He can help like no other because he is the one who made heaven and earth. His resources are unlimited and his love is endless. And so we should long to be helped by the Lord, shouldn't we? We should sing along with this psalmist and think, yes, my help comes from the Lord as well. He's the only one that I can rely on fully. And he'll provide for all my needs. But what help does the Lord offer? What kind of help is this? What is the life uh, looking like with the journey helped by the Lord? Well, verse 3 says that the Lord helps us through guidance. He will not let your foot slip. Now I can imagine this would be a real encouragement to the Old Testament believer who's walking along in the wilderness in a very dry land, which is rocky. It's a very practical thing, isn't it? Not having your foot slipping. And it's tied into this is that he never slumbers nor sleeps. He's watching over this individual so carefully. And there's not a time that he's doing anything else. He's always awake and always devoted to watching over uh, this individual's footsteps. And it's the same with us. How each step that we make by faith along the Christian journey, as we walk with the Lord and to the Lord, the Lord is guiding each step. He is there. He will not slumber and he will not sleep. He's absolutely devoted to taking care of us every step of the way. Now, I've got some friends who find the idea of uh, God always watching just repulsive actually because they imagine God to be like some big brother in the sky that um, George Orwell book that the TV series is based on this kind of this nasty dictator who scrutinizes everything and of course that is a very ugly and sinister picture of God isn't it but that's not the picture that we get in this psalm we don't read of a God who is never sleeping so that he can obsess over our failures, the truth is that he's always watching over us because he utterly loves us. He is watching over us for our care and protection, for our good. It's like he, he can't keep his eyes off us. It's that kind of idea. He can't take his eyes off you. 
if we belong to Jesus, then God is absolutely besotted with us. He is like that new father who is just tenderly staring at their beautiful baby as they're sleeping, just in love with it. Maybe it's just the father's amazed that the baby is actually asleep. But it's that idea, isn't it, of a, a loving father just really loving their child and not taking their eyes off them out of love for them. And just as a child, as they grow up, might take their first little wobbly steps, and that's the picture that we get here, that our Heavenly Father is there, kind of around us and behind us, just watching how we're doing, guiding us through every little step that we make. He is our loving Heavenly Father who is guiding us. And the second thing we learn about God is our helper is this perfect protection that he provides. It's a lot of peace. So it says that the Lord will keep you from all harm. It's an outrageous statement, isn't it? The Lord will keep you from all harm. It's true if you're a believer. Here we see an all-encompassing protection. And of course, only the creator God could offer this. Only the almighty God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit, could provide this selfless, full of security uh, protection that protects us from all danger. Only he could do this because he's created everything. He has the ability and that we know he is loving and so he would be willing to. It says he is your shade at your right hand and this shows the priority of the Lord's help. It's a bit of an odd expression. Um, The Hebrew language, I have very little kind of knowledge of it really, but the right hand is the pride of place. So we know that Jesus Christ is enthroned in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He is there. He is the priority. He's there at the, the honored position. And we see here that the singer says that the Lord is the shade at your right hand. He is there, pride of place, where either a staff would be for walking or maybe a weapon would be for defense. He is that. He is our help in that way for protection. He's there right next to us as well. And just as a side thought, we can so often not give that position to the Lord, can't we? We can rely on him in really hard times, and we should definitely. We see that. But is he the first thing? Is he at our right hand? Is he the first place that we'd turn to? Because he's our help. He's our ultimate help. It's interesting, isn't it? It says that the traveler won't be harmed by the sun nor the moon because of this shade of the Lord. Now, is the psalmist saying that the Lord just provides factor 50 sunscreen? It's a bit of an odd thing, isn't it, that you won't be harmed by the sun, you won't be harmed by the moon. Again, it's poetic language. And it's to say that the greatest, most powerful thing during the day greatest most powerful thing during the night it cannot harm you 
because the Lord is watching over you. That's the kind of picture language that we're seeing. The sun will not harm you by day, and the moon will not harm you by night. It's to say that there's absolutely nothing in all of creation, not even the greatest things, can harm us because the Lord is our shade at our right hand and he watches over our lives. But how does this fit with reality? (laughs) How does it fit with life? Because if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you must be wondering, how does the Lord keep us from, from all harm? Sometimes it doesn't feel like that, doesn't it? Maybe we're going through problems with our health at the moment, and it, it's fairly blatant that harm is coming to us. Is the Lord not protecting us? You might find financial difficulty and wonder, where is the Lord's blessing? In relationships break down, we have bereavements, there's sinful habits that cling to us. And this is real life, isn't it? This is the, the real Christian journey. And so how does this fit in with this amazing promise of this great protection of the Lord? And more than this, I mean, we have it relatively easy in this country, don't we? What about God's people who die just for being faithful. Where's the Lord's protection for them? What about Christians who have their worlds torn apart because of persecution? Has God fallen asleep? Has he forgotten to watch? Well, to find out um, the answer to this is looking at Jesus. He is the revelation. He He is the word of God. And he is the beloved one of the Father. It's only in him that we have protection. But when this, when Jesus came down from heaven, he was born as a man. He was was a human like like all of us, I think. (laughs) And he is the living way to God. But before he was born, he enjoyed the perfect blessing with his father in the unity of the spirit. No harm ever came to him. No harm ever came to him. And Jesus is the only son of God who, is, who the father delights in. And yet he entered our world, which is full of worries, full of dangers. And we would expect Jesus to live a very sheltered life, wouldn't we? A very comfortable life. If, if God loves him, if he is the only begotten son of the Father, then surely God would give it to him easy. That's not what we see, though, is it? Because he was born into a poor family, into just in the backwater in the north of Israel. Uh, didn't really have any formal education. He was a carpenter. And yet, deeper than this, he was called the man of sorrows. From the moment he was born, he was bearing sins to the world. He was a man of sorrows. And yet he was this deeply cherished one 
by God. And when Jesus, um, the start of his ministry, after he was baptized, he was sent out into the wilderness. He went on a journey, if you like. And there he met probably the most notorious difficulty that anyone would face. It's the devil. He was met with the devil. And it's in Matthew chapter 4. And this is what it says. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so they will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Can you see what the devil was asking? It's a very similar passage that the devil quotes to Jesus to tempt him. It's as if to say, the Lord will keep you from all harm, so throw yourself off the temple. And it's, it's interesting how Jesus deals with this, because Jesus resists this, and he recognizes the devil's wrong motives. And what was the devil's wrong motives? It was to, to bypass the cross. It was to get Jesus to either to end his life by throwing himself to the ground, or to test God and to bypass the cross. It's to say, it's to give in to uh, the devil's uh, allegation that he is absolutely cherished by God and nothing can go wrong with him. The, the Lord will command his angels and no harm will come to you. It's that idea. But Jesus says, no, this isn't the way. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Because Jesus, the whole purpose that he was born, was to head towards the cross. He was the man of sorrows, and he was heading towards the most, the most painful thing that anyone has ever gone through. Because at the cross, this is where the most harm has ever been dealt to someone. In the whole of history, there was the physical pain that the bystanders could, could see if they were there. But even more than this, at the cross, God was pouring out his wrath on his son, his anger, the punishment for sin. This is spiritual torment. He, Jesus literally went through hell. And so this one who is absolutely loved by the Father... And yet, he is the one who suffered the most. Again, we see that, how does this passage weigh up? So what did it mean that Jesus was kept from all evil? Because the word harm in our passage, in other translations, it says evil, that no evil um, will come to you. Well, there's a greater reality to suffering. Because when Jesus was suffering, his father was helping him. His father was protecting him. He was there with him through the suffering, guiding him, and out the other end. That's the pattern that we see. 
Because the life of Jesus as Nazareth isn't the exception to the rule of God's perfect care and protection, but it is the pattern. This is what we should expect when we read that God will keep us from all harm or from all evil. It means the life of Jesus. Jesus shows us that for us to be kept from all evil doesn't mean a cushioned life, but it means a well-armed one. It means that you won't just be elevated without any effort just to heaven. It means that the Lord is with you on the journey, traveling with you. And as you go through things that sometimes feel like hell, that the Lord is with you in that. He gives you the strength to carry on. And he, he spurs you on. And it is by his strength that you carry on. He's carrying you through this. And so it's not bypassing the cross or suffering. It's actually the pattern of our life. And what does it mean for us who are in Jesus to be kept from all evil? Well, Romans 8 is a very useful passage. It was actually referred to in one of our songs a little earlier. Because it says this. And it's to do with this tension between how the Lord is always helping you, always with you. He's protecting you from all evil. And yet, life is hard. It says this. And we know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's to say, all things, every hard step along the journey, it's for your good. God won't just help you through it. It's part of God's help for you. It's good for you because it's making you more like Jesus. As you go through hard times, you're walking the life that Jesus walked. And so through the Spirit, you're becoming more like him. Paul goes on to say in Romans, saying, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can see that tension, can't you? The Lord promises this comprehensive protection of our lives if we trust in Jesus. But that doesn't mean an easy life. Paul was facing death, and yet he said he was more than a conqueror because of the love of Christ that was working in him. So it doesn't mean that we all have an easy life, but it does mean that our God is with us and he helps us. In Jesus, we have a God who knows firsthand what we struggle with, what we have to go through, 
and in Christ as well, we have a God who will help us through those times and work in those times. And at the very end of the psalm, it's an amazing promise. Because another thing about the Lord's help is there's always and forever. It's help now and forever. So as the Old Testament believer was trekking their way to Jerusalem on this special and yet hard journey, it wasn't just a, a matter of gritting their teeth and plowing on to the final goal. Because they were heading towards the Lord, and yet this psalm says that it's for now that the Lord was with them on the journey. He was their help now. It's not just a matter of it will be all right in the end. It's that through him who loved us, it's all right now. It's all right now. Because he is with me. The Lord isn't only the destination of us who are on our way to heaven in Christ. He pledges himself to us as we're on our journey. So even though it might feel like we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we won't fear any evil. Why? It's because he is with us. He is watching over us now and forever. It's amazing, isn't it? The Lord is our help. It makes us look very weak, though, doesn't it? Some of my friends say religion's just a, a crutch for the weak. And so disregard it. And yet it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't go far enough, that claim, does it? Because us who know Christ, we know that we're not just weak. We're absolutely helpless without the Lord. And the living God doesn't just offer a little helping hand. He's not there just to give you a nice feeling but he's there to give us life, to give us life. Without him, we're dead in our sin. And so the Lord's help isn't just a crutch, it's resurrection power. He is our everything. He is our all. And so it's a very humble thing to say that, yeah, I can see that that some people, when they do go through hard times, they do turn to religion, many different types of religion, to find help. But the difference with Christianity is that it's not just a helping hand. It's for now and forevermore. It's life. It's everything. So just to tie this all up, if you're not yet a Christian... If you're still thinking things through, if you're on your journey to, to think about these things, well, you need to know that ultimate help from God, that he has given his son, that Jesus has come down from heaven and found you. He has come to find you so that you can be on your journey to the Father. And he's done this, of course, by living the life that we should live but can't because we mess up. And at the cross, he's died the cursed death that we deserve. He's taken our place. 
He's served us. He's helped us. And so we need to know that. That he doesn't just help us to get us on our way. And he's not just there as the destination. He's our help all the way. And for those of us who do trust in Jesus, I hope that you know this is a very real reality in your lives. That the Lord is your help. That he is at your right hand, the first place you turn to. And that we trust him day by day. And the Lord does bring us through hard times to teach us to rely on him more, doesn't he? It's because only when we feel inadequate, that's when we'll look to him for help. 